Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and joining me this week is Adria Walden of the OreoExperience.com and the upcoming Black Girl in a Big Dress. How are you doing, Adria? I'm fantastic. How are you? I am above ground and standing upright, so I'm doing pretty good. Excellent, excellent. Fantastic. You and I recently came into each other's orbits on Twitter when I was doing some light, light halfway research on web series, and you've got one coming up called Black Girl in a Big Dress. Correct. Why don't yes. you give us a quick rundown on it? So Black Girl in a Big Dress is about an African-American cosplayer who is in love with the Victorian era and who is trying to bring a fantasy relationship from her reenactment events out into the real world. She is a girl who loves all the things about Victorian era living. Um, she loves the rules and the order and the hierarchy and the dinner parties and the big dresses and um, is, is trying to make those uh, interests fit in into a world that's much less formal and, and, and such. And so she's this awkward fish out of water in her regular life and is trying to make that work out for herself. Uh, definitely a, a romantic view of the past is, is yeah. a recurrent theme of this. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. She, yes, I, 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 there's definitely two sides to the Victorian era. There's the, you know, the North and South version and the grand English country houses. And that is what she is definitely drawn to and um, less the, the great expectations, although excellent, excellent literature there as well. Oh, yeah, it was actually probably the, the last great era without a lot of trashy writing. Because since then, yeah. we've gotten great writing, but it always involves, like, fisting or something weird. <laughs> it's just, just straight to fisting. Oh, yeah. It's one of my one of my wife's favorite uh, things is, like, she goes, I want to write the book, like, the name of the one she talks about is Valencia. She goes, mm-hmm. but I want less fisting in it. <laughs> so that is always my, my go-to description when describing a <laughs> modern novel. Um, so... I am. T- what is your character's name in Black Girl in a Big Dress? Her name is Adrian. Um, yes. So I'm taking slightly uh, autobiographical. Slightly, I definitely. First of all, Adria is just often hard for people to say and understand quickly. So I didn't want to use my actual name, just for ease of of understanding. Um, but yes, I've always been my parents. So I I am black. Just to clarify for anyone in podcast land. And I've always not done the right things for a little black kid. Like I never, people were like, hey, here's the boys to men mixtape. And I'm like, cool, but I, here's my Tori Amos mixtape. And I've always been drawn to Renaissance fairs and Shakespeare and old English stuff. And that was always very confusing for people, but it stuck. My parents took me to a Renaissance fair when I was probably like 10 or 12. And I think it was just that thing of like, ah, oh, we need something to do with our child for the weekend. Here, go to this thing. And then I was like, I found my Valhalla. And it was, it, it was really put me on a path. I did not think, I don't think they expected me to, to go down. 
So yeah, so I've always loved that sort of thing. I've always been deeply awkward when interacting with other human people, and uh, so is Adrian. That's awesome. I my wife and I took our kids to the uh, Hollis. Uh, Hollister uh, Renaissance mm-hmm. Fair mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. and I, we were having a blast. But then the sun started to settle, and the natives yeah. start getting a little restless, and you can tell it's about to turn into an orgy. So you're like, we got to get the kids out of here, like <laughs> yeah. now, run for safety <laughs> before the pomegranates start coming out. Exactly. Yeah, but that's um, that's awesome. So you actually got turned on to that kind of fandom just by accidentally going to a Renaissance Fair. Totally accidental. Totally accidental. I, I didn't know anything about it at the time, and it really was one of those things where it's like, ugh, what are my parents making me do? And I was like, these are my people. <laughs> and, and, I, and I loved it. And I thought about making Black Girl in a Big Dress about Renaissance cosplay for a while, but one, I wanted a different type of dress. I wanted an excuse to buy a Victorian-era dress. And I felt like there was a, a, a kind of a lot of that already out there, and so I switched to the Victorian-era um, to just take it away. There, there's just been a lot of Renaissance Fair jokes, which I'm happy happy to make and happy to indulge in, but I wanted it to be a little bit different, and I also wanted to get this dress made, so I did. That's perfect. Well, and now it's a tax write-off. It's costuming. It is a tax write-off, absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, um, you know what? I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk sure. about when you got into – well, I mean, you're a writer, and yes. it looks – you act, and you – I believe you do some on-stage performance as well. I do. So let's talk a little bit about when you first got bit with the, the performance bug or the writing bug. I mean, when did when did creativity rear its ugly head in your life? You know, it's funny. It's always been there. And I, I'm also the – my, I'm the daughter of an accountant and a chemical engineer, so they were deeply Oof, surprised. That's a barrel of laughs. And it's funny, I recently found a bunch of stories that I wrote when I was very young, like five or six. And by stories I wrote, I mean stories that I absolutely plagiarized from like fairy tales, but I just rewrote them. Mm-hmm. And they kind of sound like me today. And I was like, wow, what a difficult child I must have been (laughs) and so that's always been a thing I was also but writing came about in part because I was kind of always an outsider I didn't go to my neighborhood school so I wasn't friends with anyone in my neighborhood at school I was the only black kid in my class for a really long time and nothing bad happened to me because of it but I always felt like like oh like just on the outside um I also went to we, my, my family grew up going to church and we went to a, a black Southern Baptist church and I was far too white for them. So I was always just kind of like, huh, I grew up in Texas and I didn't love football. I was a girl, but I didn't at that time did not want to put on dresses. And so I never, I never found a, a circle to sort of be a part of and writing was something I could do by myself and I loved it. And the film and TV and storytelling came in because, you know, Friday nights for me as a kid were not hanging out with friends or going on dates or anything like that. It was me watching television and finding stories about people who were much more like me. And that was so wonderful and so freeing. And so I started writing because I, I saw that you could do storytelling and, and tell stories and some people might want to read them someday. And eventually wanted to pursue television because it was so impactful to me as a child seeing people out there in TV land who were like me 
And I was like, oh, I wanted, I want to do that for, for other people eventually. And I remember one time in high school, I, I always had a composition notebook with me. I was always writing, always writing. And people always thought that was so weird. And then in a creative writing class, I got to read one of my stories and it was dark. It was about like eating disorders and suicidal thoughts and depression. But it was the first time that all of these kids, like popular kids and jocks and the, you know, sort of like rocker kids, all of them were riveted by this story. None of them became my friends, but all of them were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, like, I totally think that too. And they sort of individually would come up to me and be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for reading that. And I was like, this is amazing. It's like magic. Writing stories is like magic. And, um, and I've been very fortunate to be able to do quite a lot of it since. And performing, I think, was similar. I, I was also very, very, very shy. So the idea of getting on stage was terrifying to me for a long time. But I kept trying to do it. And so I would keep taking theater classes and then just not speaking. And then it, over the years, I've gotten over that piece of stage fright. And I love being on stage as well. See, and that to me is kind of amazing because in, a, in the, I believe it's worldwide, but I know it's America. Mm-hmm. And it gets cited all the time. People are more afraid of speaking publicly than they are yes. of dying. Yes. And that is one. Now, see, I'm my real life, I'm a salesman. Mm-hmm. I have to walk into a room cold 15 yeah. times a day and just start yakking at people, and hopefully somebody opens up. Right. So that being said, even I, up until just a few years ago, uh-huh. would get nauseous if I had to give a presentation in front of more than five people. Oh, wow. And then one day, I'd probably, just like yourself, you're just like, I've faked it 100,000 times that right. next time, I just wasn't afraid. Right. Is that kind yeah. of what you did? I did, you know, I had a teacher, the, the the thing that I credit with breaking me is I was, earlier in my career, I was in a writer's room and I was the only woman and I was also quite a bit younger than everyone else. I was very intimidated and I wasn't getting my ideas through <clears throat> and I saw a friend in a Second City sketch show and I was like, this is amazing, I want to do it. So I started taking classes at the Second City here in Los Angeles and same thing, like two terms, I paid my money, I showed up and I just wouldn't get up on stage. And then finally, this one teacher grabbed me by the hand and was like, Adria is going to be in every single scene today. And it was three hours of not being able to get off stage. And after that, I was like, Oh, I guess it's fine. I, I guess I can do this. And that that deep, deep nervousness went away after that. I may mean, still get nervous before I go on stage. I think that's healthy, but that paralyzing fear kind of went away after, after that day. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think being nervous is okay. I think like being yeah. afraid you're going to poop yourself or throw up. That's, <laughs> that's where it's a problem. That's where, that's where it takes a turn. Yeah. yeah that, that's where it works against you. Um, all right. So how did you go from uh, shy little Adrian, Texas to uh, Southern California? Well, I started my career as a print journalist. I used to be a newspaper reporter back when newspapers were a thing that people read. And because no one from where I'm from did film or TV, that just that wasn't modeled for me. No one did it. And so I was like, oh, I really want to write and tell stories, but I, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to work in film and TV. That's insane. And newspapers were media and it was writing. And I was like, great, that'll, that'll do. So I went off to Washington state and was a reporter for a couple of years, but it's very, um, it, I was still quite shy. And so 
the idea of bothering people to get information was very stressful. And as a young reporter, you do a lot of cops and courts reporting. So I was constantly reporting about terrible things and I didn't like it. And you're, you know, I would go to these pre-trial hearings and there would be people who were on trial, going to be on trial for horrible crimes. And I didn't want to talk to them because I was afraid of them. And my bosses would be like, why didn't you talk to them? And I was like, because they're accused of brutalizing eight women. And my bosses would be like, talk to them anyway. And I was like, no. And then as a reporter, you're also constantly being threatened with lawsuits and, and people would, there was this whole group of people who would call my voicemail early in the morning, like right after they got their paper and leave horrible messages or racist messages. And I didn't like it. So I was like, maybe I should give that film and TV thing a try. And I happened in the middle of nowhere, Washington state happened to meet a boy who was also working in news, but who also wanted to work in film and TV. And we started dating and between us, we had just enough courage to just quit our jobs and move to Los Angeles with no money and barely any connections. And so we did. We broke up almost immediately after moving to Los Angeles, <laughs> but we got here. And and I got very, very, very lucky for my first job in town because while I was in Washington, I was in a play. And a woman, a friend of the show, she had done some backstage work. I told her I was moving to, to Burbank and she said, oh, my son lives in Burbank. You should give him a call. But her vibe was my unmarried son lives in Burbank. Please call him. <laughs> and I didn't want that. So I didn't call him. But then I was unemployed for like three weeks. So I called him and he had a crush on a production manager on a TV show at the time. So he was like, yeah, I'll put you in touch with her. And she gave me my first job in uh, in town. And it was kind of up, up from there. I got this opportunity and I, I worked really, really hard at it. And and that's how I got into the industry. What's funny about that, and, and because your accent changed, so it really highlighted it, was the old school, my 45-year-old son with 15 cats and five very close male friends <laughs> is still a bachelor. He's still a bachelor for some reason. I can't put my finger on why, but maybe yeah. you'll change him. So, yes, that, that kind of made me smile a little bit. Um, well, that's good. You, so you got to live in the Pacific Northwest, which is a yes. beautiful area. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel? I mean, how do you feel about your time spent as a reporter? I mean, do you feel that creatively did it help you develop as a writer? Um, kind of give me a little idea how you as a little girl telling stories, your time as a reporter, and then, you know, writing and working in a more creative field. Do those all work together, or do they contrast in a way that, you know, helped you somehow? I think the thing about being a reporter that I did not realize for years after being in town, being in Los Angeles, is the the if, if you want to be a, a creative writer in Hollywood, one of the things that's very helpful to develop is a thick skin and an ability to take criticism and notes very easily. And as a reporter, you have to write brand new stories every day and they have to be great every day. And you're going to get notes at 4 PM and you have to rewrite your story by five. It's because that, because at that time we still had really severe press deadlines, which might be a little bit different now, but being able to get a note and turn it around and make your piece quite a bit better so that the next day someone can throw it in the garbage and you have to start over again was amazing training because you had to be creative on a deadline and you had to let it go because 
yes, there are a handful of stories that will rise through and then they'll get picked up by wires and they'll get covered and recovered. But most of the stuff that you're writing literally gets thrown in the trash when the next day's paper comes. And that was such great training for coming out to Hollywood. And, you know, I think there's this idea that writers get just as much time as you want to dream onto the page, but no, someone wants that those pages in two days and it doesn't matter if this is your baby and you love it. You just got to turn around those pages immediately and they better be good and they better be better and they better address all the notes. And then after you turn that draft in a week later, they're going to give you more notes and they're, they're going to forget how much they loved it a week ago. Now they hate it. So do it again and again. And that just goes on forever. And I think the training of being a reporter was really helpful in letting letting go of the ego and just, all right, we're going to, we'll start over again. Here we go. Um, I've, I've seen projects of mine that I loved, 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 you know, get someone, you know, buys it. They're like, we love everything about this. Let's change 100% of it. And <laughs> heartbreaking for a second, but then you're like, cool. All right, let's, let's go and do this. Um, I think the other thing about being a reporter that's great is you you get to interact with so many real and regular people, and it's great for character mining. I think it's tough when I meet young writers who have never done anything else and who haven't sort of lived other lives. I think it's difficult to come up with characters. They tend to create characters that are familiar because they're characters we've seen a lot, and and so that's that is what they know. They know every TV show because they they are cinephiles and TV files, and they they watch all these shows, and so they kind of know how to recreate these characters, and that is a good skill. But having been out in the quote unquote regular world and meeting people from all over was really great for char- just developing interesting characters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was trying to think of a, a way because. I, all of us, especially in sitcoms, mm-hmm. every type of character you see gets distilled down to its purest essence over time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even if they were written wittily to start with, you know, right. if they're the paranoid, then that just gets magnified. And right. And I was trying to think of a way to expand upon that, but I think that was kind of the limit of my knowledge right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's 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 tricky. I think it's I think it's fun as we have sort of new new forms of of the comedy. You know. Um, more comedies that that allow themselves to have dramatic moments, I think, are, are really nice, uh, and we're we're seeing more of more of those. And so you 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 still get the the essence a lot of the time, but then you have a little bit of space to expand them a bit. And you know, there's there's reasons. I understand the reasons why characters get written that way, especially in a non-serialized comedy. You want people to be able to pop in at any moment and totally get it. And so yeah, you have to keep things simple and straightforward and to the point. You know, you've brought up non-serialized storytelling. I'm, this is going to be a completely opinion-based question I'm throwing at you. Yes. But, but, you know, back, say, up until the early 2000s, most TV shows were intended to be sold into syndication. Yep. So you had to be able to turn on the TV at any point, watch one episode, and then maybe never see it again or not worry about what you would see next. Right. Now, for the last 15 or 18 years we've been seeing more uh, serialized storytelling on television. Mm-hmm. Which do you prefer? Ooh, it's a wonderful question. I, 
I find value in both, she said, <laughs> going right down the middle of the road. Way to sit the fence, Adria. Way to sit the fence. <laughs> I am a people pleaser. Um, I I think there are great examples of both, and I think both can be really fun. As yes, and I and I mean, and I I'm, I was trying to think of a way to to make to swing one way or the other, but I I do mean that. I I think sometimes. You know, sometimes you come home from work and you just want to chill out and I just I want to watch something purely for entertainment and I don't want to feel too much. I just want to have a good time with some characters and so great. Let me pop in and pop out. And then sometimes I really, really want to get invested. So let me let me do that. Which do you prefer? So I had a very long, wandering, drunken discussion with a good friend of mine this weekend. Um, as we sat up late in Monterey Bay waiting for the temperature to drop below 80 degrees for the first time in 100 years. Uh, but nobody has air conditioning there, so we're like, our wives are in bed, kids are in bed, and we're like sitting around drinking beer just going, I can't sleep until I'm either drunk or it's cooler. Right. So the conversation of Batman came up, and this is kind of where I was approaching it from. Oh, yeah. And he took it from me as, as I get older, I begin to want more silly storytelling and right. not... It was in my entire life, you know, Michael Keaton onwards, we've had this almost murderous Batman. Right. So now when I watch the old Adam <laughs> West stuff, I'm like, this is what a comic book show should be like. Right. So that was one of the places I took it. Now, for me, I've got a handful of odd favorite TV shows. Yeah. The original Star Trek. Great. Babylon 5, which is the first TV show I ever saw where what happened last week mattered this week. Okay. Okay. Um. Scrubs, which has a very oh. light continuity. Yes. And, and I just want to point out that the guy that played the Todd high five yeah. me on Twitter this morning, so my day is already made. Love it. Yeah. And then, and then my other favorite show, and this is my absolute favorite, is a Canadian TV show called Corner Gas. Okay. Which has very few pieces of continuity in it. Okay. Very few. Uh-huh. Um, and I think what I have discovered is I like... In comedy, I like there to be very light callbacks. Right. And in drama or science fiction slash, you know, fantasy stuff, I think I like some continuity, but don't become a slave to it. Don't right. don't let your don't stop writing your story to go check your facts. Just right. go with it, and then if there's a lot of blowback, just you know, write a Twitter going, "Oh, sorry guys, yeah, yeah, just screwed up a little bit." Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, you know, again, keep in mind that I was at least 14 beers in when this thought process <laughs> started. <laughs> no, but I think that makes sense because because part because entertainment is also supposed to be entertaining, mm -hmm. and sometimes getting de depending on what that particular depending on who your audience is and what kind of mood they're in at that time and what has come before and what is what they think is coming after just in their lives. Sometimes you, yeah, you just want to have fun and sometimes you want just, you just want to see these characters doing something and yeah, you don't want to forget about the past, but you don't need to rehash every single piece of the past every time, um, which is another thing I love about TV is that you have that opportunity in the course of one series to do all of that stuff. You can have great standalone episodes, you can have really deep mythology episodes, you can, you can take a turn in an episode and see how your audience responds and be like, oh, they didn't like that? Okay, cool. And then correct. Or just be like, you know what? This is what we're going to do for a while. And go on a little journey and come back or 
not come back. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that's that's I for me that's the premier difference between film and television. Film, you have X number of minutes. Right. TV, you have a lot of time. You can really slow down and delve into something. Yeah. 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 Uh, what is your preferred medium out of those two, film or television? Right now, I'm enjoying television a lot. I, I kind of go back and forth, sort of depending on what is happening to me, sort of professionally. Like if I'm in, a, if I'm working on a feature project and that has traction at the time, of course I love film. Mm-hmm. And if, if it's a TV project, then like, yes, I love TV. What, but a part of that is me getting genuinely excited about the work that I'm doing because I, I genuinely love writing. It is, I, and I love all the parts of it. I love coming up with an idea. I love breaking the story. I love figuring out the characters and finessing the dialogue and, and the other sort of business part of figuring out how to pitch the story so that this executive will get excited about it, which is different than pitching it to a fan, which is different than pitching it to a wide audience. I, I just love all the parts and pieces. So I tend to get very excited about whatever it is I'm working on because I love the work so much. Right. The second I'm really enjoying TV and especially those comedies that I love bittersweet. That's probably my favorite emotion. And, uh, I, I love those comedies that ride that line that make you laugh and laugh and then and then make you not necessarily cry, but that you're like, oh, um, I love I love that space. And TV, you definitely have the time to do that in a in a bigger way than you do with film. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about your uh, your uh, your blog a little bit because I have to imagine your your journalistic background really helped inform this project. Yes. Uh, you are at theoreoexperience.com. dot com. That is correct. Uh, just just for just for fun, why don't yeah. you tell us what an Oreo is? <laughs> uh, so the, this is where the, this is where the, the the angry Twitter comments come in. So, <laughs> so uh, as I mentioned before, I am a black person. I'm African American. Both my parents are black. That's a question that comes up a lot. And I've I've never fallen into, and as I mentioned before, any of the stereotypes about any of the things that I am. But the race stuff was really well, poignant. I'm going to say poignant. I don't think if that's the right word, I may come back and correct that word. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a big deal because I grew up in Texas, and until fourth grade, I was the only black kid in my class, which nobody noticed until the fourth grade. And in the fourth grade, two things happened. One, we started studying Black History Month for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly everyone would just stare at me during class and I'd be like, I wasn't, I, I'm nine. I wasn't born in the 1800s. I can't help you with this. And the other thing that happened was another black student turned up and, and I was busy being in love with this, this redheaded, blue eyed, freckle faced kid. And one day all these people started asking me, Oh my gosh, do you like so-and-so? Do you like so-and-so? And And I didn't know who that was for days and days and days. And then finally someone pointed him out to me. And the only thing he and I had in common was that we were both black. And I was like, Oh, Oh, Oh. And that is when I learned that I am supposed to be a certain way because I am of a certain race. And I, it blew my mind because I had no idea. And that's also the age, I guess, maybe when kids start having a, like 
um, I don't know if it's just stronger opinions about their music or sort of a little bit of autonomy, like to be able to inform their parents about what they want. So kids started listening to music and I was gravitating towards like punk and alt rock and people were like, no, you have to like hip hop and R and B. And I'm like, I, but I don't though. And that was very confusing. And then I went to a church and I, that was all black, but I just didn't fit in with them. And, and my voice, like I sing a little bit, but I have like a light classical voice and I don't sing gospel very well. And that was confusing. And so everyone was just so confused. And everywhere I went, people were just baffled by me. And, and so the Oreo, so, okay. So the, <laughs> an Oreo is a black person. That's where this was going. Black on the outside, white on the inside, like an Oreo cookie. And, and people started calling me that as a child. And then I took the word back from myself and was like, you know what? Yeah, sure. If that's what we're going to go with, that's fine. And so the Oreo experience, the blog is a lot of me existing in this space and, and people being confused by it and, and the, and the funny and sometimes painful conversation that that leads to and watching other people try to make sense of you. Um, yeah. These are my experiences as an Oreo. I think I just found the title for this uh, this podcast episode. Yes. And I think yes. it's going to be Adria Has Ginger Fever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. It's funny because in my one – I have a one-woman show called The Oreo Experience as well. And my boyfriend, my very long-term boyfriend now, is also a ginger. And it didn't occur to me until I was writing that show that I was like – Oh, it's like, it's full circle. My first big crush and my partner. Oh, it's the same person. And then I, I felt like I'd come full circle and I achieved something. That's amazing. Um, I do want to bring up something real quick just be, and show my own racial ignorance a little bit. Sure. Um, one of the first lines on your, on your blog. Yes. And you talk about your grandparents having very dark skin and blue eyes. Yes. And, okay, so one of my favorite movies of all time is the original Conan the Barbarian. Okay. And uh, James Earl Jones plays a villain in there that they wanted to give a different look to. So they, you know, left him with his, you know, he's got dark-ish skin, but not super dark. And then light blue eyes and then straight black hair. Uh And ever since then, I have found black skin with green or blue eyes one of the most striking. Very striking. And and, and just amazing looks ever. Um. So as somebody who grew up, I mean, in a school without other black people around, when did, when did that eye configuration catch your eye, just out of my own curiosity? Um, well, it's funny. Part of it, part of it is I, my, because my, my dad is the child of those, those parents who I described in my blog, um, my, I thought my dad was white for a long time. Mm-hmm. He, he actually has quite fair skin, but he has light brown eyes and, and like his straight nose. And so I just thought he was white for a long time. And then I told him, I was like, dad, when I grow up, I want to be white like you. And he's like, I'm not white. I was like, oh, yes, you are. And then, and then later I was like, oh, I get it now. So I noticed, I noticed it my, you know, in my dad, like right away, like that he looked a, a little different than, than I did. Um, and then I general in general, I, I'm a big fan of, of contrasts. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do, I'm, I uh, very, I find it very striking when someone has dark skin and light eyes or the other way around, like very fair skin with very dark hair and eyes. I also find very striking. I think contrasts are very interesting to look at. 
Yeah, you don't you don't see them a lot, so they, they yeah. tend to draw your eye a little bit. Um, yeah. So I did some reading on your blog to kind of prep for this. Sure. Um, first off, the comment sections almost had me pee my pants at least three times. Yes. And it was somewhere between the sheer joy of reading some of the, the comments and yes. the sheer terror of reading some <laughs> of the comments. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, so I have to assume, like everybody else, you're, you're going to be stratified between you're playing it straight and you're tongue-in-cheek sometimes. <laughs> Yes. And I have to assume most readers can't tell when. Yes. And that is fascinating to me. It's fascinating because I, when I started it, it didn't, when I started it, I was new to being a woman on the internet. So I did not yet know about the joys of being a woman on the internet. Uh, when people tell you all their opinions and make all of their threats and it's a real delight. And to me, because I was coming out of sketch comedy at that time, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to write a bunch of jokes and put them on this website. And they're like, oh, my gosh, people get so people would get so offended and hurt and angry. And I'm just like, it's, a, it's jokes, you guys. It's just it's just jokes. But then as time went on, I do sort of toe that line like I like to see on television between straight up jokes. And then sometimes things things happen that are hurtful. And I'll write about that and I'll still do it in a jokey way. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it is an interesting mix of, of complete tongue in cheek and then sometimes some sincerity and, and I think it's hard for people to tell the difference and I think that's okay with me. Yeah. And I even told my wife, uh, as I was reading through your side, I said, she's either really slyly funny or <laughs> mentally ill. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm getting into here. <laughs> You're like, oh, she's like, good luck. Yeah. Like, let's go um, safe word just in case. It, well, yeah, I always have one of those, you know. There's a there's a light switch I can flick. You know? Oh, the house is on fire. I got to go. Um, so we did sit and watch some of the clips of your show. Oh, you know, before I get off your before I get off your website, yeah. Um, I, I do want to ask you, and you've kept this thing. I think it was for five or six years now. Yeah. So I know there's a ton of content there. There's a lot of stuff. Do you remember what pieces seem to draw the most uh, fan interaction, positive or negative? Uh, there's actually a video <laughs> that I that I ended up taking down because one of the fun facts about me is that for various reasons, none of which are racist, all of my boyfriends have not been black, right? I've never dated a guy who was black. Now, part of this is because I haven't dated that many people so mm -hmm. the odds of me dating anyone in particular are low. I tend to be in long-term relationships. So, again, once I'm with someone, I'm usually with them for a long time. So, again, the odds. And I do really white stuff. Like, there's just not, like, a ton of black guys in my, oh, yeah. you know, Edwardian dance class. Well, you're standing there buying some 41 tickets. You're not going to meet a lot of guys that are, you know, black right. at that point. Yeah. It's just, not, it's just not what happens. And so I used to have a video up about where I made a lot of jokes about why I never, why I've never dated black guys. And it was jokes and it was really tongue in cheek, but it, it got people really, really angry. And it's probably the one video that actually attracted actual threats. And so I was like, all right, uh, that I'm going to go ahead and take that down. going to go ahead and take that down now. Um, yeah. And then I had an experience on a talk show where some, where a talk show producer found my blog and told me that they wanted me to come on and talk about interracial dating. And I was like, absolutely. I love talking about dating. This is going to be fun. And then it was a real bait and switch. And so that was probably the first most sincere piece that I did maybe because it was really heartbreaking. Cause I, I, they brought me on the show under false pretenses and it was so 
humiliating and difficult and I was so confused and angry, but I was also on camera, so I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, I mean, I guess I could have stormed off the stage, but I'm too polite to do that. And that was probably, and that was probably the first like deeply sincere thing that I wrote. And I, people had a really lovely and positive response to that. So that was a, that's, that's a piece I'm quite proud of. So if it wasn't interracial dating, what, what did they actually bring you on to talk about? They, well, it was interracial dating, but they had, they were, instead of bringing me on as someone to share their experiences, share their experiences as someone who dates interracially, they brought me on as the villain who hates black guys. Oh, okay. I didn't know that until I got on stage and they had had, they had me create a little video for them and I did, and then they recut it and that I didn't, I had no idea that was going to happen. And I also told the producers prior to booking, I said, listen, if this is a dating show, I don't want to date anybody. I have no interest in going on a date with someone who you set me up with. I will not do it. And they said, that's fine. And then in the middle of my piece, they tried to get me to go out with somebody. And I was like, no. And they were like, because he's black. And I was like, no, because I told your producers I wouldn't, I have no interest in doing that. And then, and the whole audience was like, go out with them. They were like, the whole audience is like yelling and yelling for me to go out with this guy. And I was like, I don't want to. I just like, I just, I just don't, I don't want to. I don't know him. I have plans tonight. Like I was going swing dancing that night and I just, (laughs) didn't want to ruin my plans. I really enjoy swing dancing. It was important to me. And I didn't want to go out with this stranger. And and then once they realized, once the producer and host realized that they could not sort of sway me, they um, stopped talking to me. So I, I sat on stage silently for a long time. And while the other people they brought on definitely played their parts. And I was like, how are you doing this? It was, it was a, it was fascinating and, and also heartbreaking uh, experience. First off, I love that you said swing dancing. (laughs) Secondly, that sounds like a horrible experience. It was sad. The only saving grace was a friend of mine was working um, like as a PA on that show that day. And I actually didn't know that until I got there and I could see him from my like spot on the stage. And he was a very good friend and knew me very well. And so he was aware of how upset I was. And so being able to like connect with him, just like help me was that, that was, that kept me from completely, I think losing my mind that day. That's outstanding. Um, so we're going to come up on time here pretty quickly. So I'm going to make okay. sure we get we get into your show a little bit. Okay. Um, let's go back to a black girl in a big dress. Um, yeah. Right now on your YouTube channel, you do have clips up. Yes. I do assume you get to reuse some material you've been writing and refining over the years as this has gone on probably in the back of your head for a while. But where did you originally come up with the idea for this show? Was there some certain piece of Genesis or is this just a culmination of everything that's happened to you? It was. So, so, so some of both there, I've definitely sort of thought about bits and pieces of these things. I'm a big, big Downton Abbey fan as probably comes as a surprise to no one. And so I definitely, you know, would dream about, Oh, if I could, I would love to be in a show like this. And, and over the years, I've I fantasized about being being in shows like this, which don't generally feature people of color. So that's that's sad. And so that was part of it. And then another thing that has happened to me in the last couple of years is right. So there is this big push in Hollywood for diversity and people are interested in meeting 
more diverse writers and creators of all types. And that is wonderful. That is a wonderful thing. One of the challenges is that as people are still learning to do this, people still expect for diversity to look a certain way. So if you're a black writer coming in, people have, to me, still kind of expected me to be presenting them with black stuff, like urban stuff. And I grew up in a suburb called Breckenridge near, it, it was not a gated community, but it was one neighborhood away from the gated communities. You know, I, you know, I, I am who I am and I, I don't have sort of urban stuff in my natural repertoire. And so I would go on these meetings and people would still be confused. Like they're super happy. They're like, yay, it's a black girl, but wait, oh. And it wasn't mean or malicious. It, people were just, I think, gen generally confused. And so I wanted to write something that was just everything that I like, everything that I love, like English stuff and British style sketch comedy and awkwardness. And I just wanted to put all of that stuff into one piece to be extremely clear about like, this is who I am. And that, so I wanted to, wanted to write something like that for a long time. And then I think it was literally someone being like, well, why don't you? And I was like, oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I was like, I just want to like put on a big dress and like, you know, awkwardly, awkwardly flirt with like cute British boys. And someone's like, sure. So why don't you just do that? And I'm like, fair enough. Fair enough. So I did. That's and I'm very awesome. happy with it. Very happy um, with it. I think it's amazing that we we live in a day and an age where the equipment, cost of equipment to make yeah. a series now is not yes. really a barrier to entry anymore. No. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, have you found, well, could you have done this show 10 years ago? Could have done the show 10 years ago. Um, I, 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 what was I doing 10 years ago? <laughs> what was I doing? I did, um, I did it. I did have one other web series that I've done and it was a few years ago now. Um, I think sort of, Technic I think sort of technically, I think um, we, we could have pulled it together, but I think on a sort of from a personal level, mm -hmm. I don't know that I could have done it 10 years ago because just that thing of where you have to, you know, grow and develop and become more comfortable and just being like, yeah, this is I'm just going to make the thing that's near and dear to my heart and I'm going to cross my fingers that it finds an audience and finds a home. And if it doesn't, I'm still going to be really happy that I did it. I don't know that I could have done that 10 years ago. Okay. And, and certainly not, and certainly not growing up just to, to touch back on being that little girl in South Texas wanting to do this. Like that, the, the idea then of doing something like this was completely out of the question. Like there was no way that child Adria could have conceived of doing something like this. And now Definitely, as I talk to, you know, younger students and things like that, I'm like, just do it because you can just, I mean, we had very nice equipment and that was, that was really wonderful, but you could shoot this on an iPhone if you wanted to. So just do it. Yeah. There's a, a video clip that I always mean to reshare and I always forget about, but it's basically, it says just do it. If you want to make a comic <laughs> book, make a comic book. If you want to yes. make a movie, make a movie. Yeah. Because if you're waiting for it to be perfect, you're never going to get done. It's the next thing you do is always going to be better than last. Yes. And the thing you're finishing now is going to suck in a year. So just yes. get it done. Yes, 
I'm a big fan of the, and I feel terrible saying this as a creative, but I'm a big fan of the like 90% is awesome because you can futz and you can worry and this thing isn't perfect and then you'll never get it done. But chances are no one's even going to notice this thing that you're futzing over anyway. Mm. So just finish it. Just get it. Like there's there's tons of stuff about about black girl in a big dress that I'm like, oh, it would have been awesome to reshoot this or to spend a ton of money to fix this. But it's like, you know what? It's it's awesome. And I love it. And it's done. And I much rather it be done than perfect, but never finished. Right. That's, um, be, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. no part of it is the. I, I I love the just the just just do it mantra, and it is still challenging like you still have to figure it out like I, there were so many things that were so intimidating to me about creating the show um i worked mostly with people i have not worked with before it was the best equipment it was the best equipment i've ever worked with i didn't know what it would be like to acquire that and deal with that and it required planning and budgeting and time and stress and so you have to sort of make room for all of those things it's it's not i recognize that it's not as easy as just okay, go outside tomorrow and shoot stuff. Like you have to figure out how to do it, but it's so worth the work that it takes to figure it out. Well, and the thing is also, if, if you don't know how we, you have access to that information. Yes. yes. Um, you know, for those of us, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 44 okay. and I remember the world before Google. Right. And shit, you'd have to go to the library and then the books yes. are 10 years out of date and you yes. know, yes, yes. And now yeah. you can learn to do anything. Yeah. And I also remember I had a book in the 90s called How to Make a Movie on a Used Car Budget. And the wow. most expensive thing thing that kept coming up was the camera and the film. Yeah. Well, yes. we're film. digital now. You don't need film. Don't need it. Yeah. So yeah. I just I think it's an amazing time to be a creative person. You it know? is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's great. Um, so you, your episodes of Black Girl in Big Dress, when are we going to start seeing those? But the current plan is towards the end of September. We were looking at an earlier release that was, I don't know when this is coming out, but we were looking at an early September release and then we got a, a potential opportunity for an interesting partnership. So we're just waiting for that to get sorted. And so right now I'm going to say end of September, but keep watching this space, blackgirlandabigdress.com, uh, Twitter at, I'm going to pull it up because I always, always misspell my own name. Mm -hmm. Um, Black Girl Big Dress on Twitter, BLK Girl Big Dress on Twitter, Facebook, Black Girl in a Big Dress, and I think that's all the things. Um, yeah, and so we'll keep keep people posted there. And there's lots of there's lots of clips. There's a bunch of beautiful behind the scenes photos, and so there's lots of stuff to to keep people intrigued. Until then, then we'll we'll let folks know when we have that official date. That's awesome. I do have to say, we were watching the clips of your show last night, yes. and my wife looked at me and said, you don't know who Solange is, do you? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's just because I'm old and unhip, though. Um, so I have to ask this. Yes. What is the worst pronunciation of your first name somebody's ever saddled <laughs> you with? Well, the worst ones are when people, I feel like they're not listening to me because people will often say Adri Adrian is the go-to. And so what will happen is they'll say, oh, Adrian, and they'll say Adria, Andrea, Adria, Audrey, Adria, Alexandrinetta, 
Adrian, like, I'm like, just listen, just repeat back to me what I'm saying to you. It's just Adria. It's not that hard. It's Adria. And then they just like cannot Alexandria. Just Adria. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now I'll pretty much answer to anything that starts with an A and ends with something close to an A. Adriel, Ariel, I get a lot. I'm like, there's no L's in here. I, I, yeah, I don't know. See, my last name gets handled like that a lot. Oh, I and bet. I, yeah, I, and I just, I'm, I, I'm looking at your name, and it, to me, it looks just like it sounds. And <laughs> my last name is Vilmer, V-I-L-M-U-R. Look, it used yes. to be French 200 years ago. Lovely. And... Vilmer, I, I don't know how hard that is. And I get Vilmir, Wilmer, Wilbur? No, wait, what? <laughs> what? Where, the, where are you getting these sounds from? These these don't exist in that word. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I certainly uh, I certainly commiserate. I certainly yeah. do. And thank you for pronouncing it correctly right off the bat. It was like, oh, this is going to be great. Yeah. I always ask. If I'm, if I'm ever confused at all, I always ask. I had Ellen Dubin on just a few weeks back. Uh-huh. And I wasn't sure like is the last name Dubin or Dubin, and I yeah. I was just like look before I say anything else, right? <laughs> let me ask you about this. Yeah. All right. Well, Adria, we are just about out of time, but I do want to ask if I can keep you in my Rolodex. It's been oh, yeah, a lot please. of fun talking to you. Yes, it was awesome. Please do. Yeah. Um. And again, let's just make sure we know where everything's at. Your website's at theoreoexperience.com. Yes. Uh, and this series has its own site at blackgirlinabigdress.com. Yes. It's also going to be available on your page on YouTube. Yes. And your Twitter is, I'm going to have you do this one again because I know it's a little bit funky, So, but your yes. Twitter is at? Black Girl Big Dress. Black is spelled B-L-K. There we go. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. Yeah, and everybody out there, if you're listening to this, please go check out Adria's her her website, her series, her Twitter account. It's been a fun fun conversation. I'm sure she has a lot of fun stuff coming up after that. And you can catch us at geekishcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast, and I am on Instagram, but usually it's just pictures of my dogs. But that's also at the geekishcast. We'll catch you all next time. Geekishcast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zaius. Check them out at reignofzaius.net.